my name is Kendra Kincaid. I am the founder of Elevate Aviation. It's an organization that promotes women into aviation uh, and uh, a whole lot more actually. It's been really exciting to see the organization grow, especially uh, doing these airtime webinars that are also podcasts. So if you're looking to listen to some of them while you're driving around or out jogging, you can listen on the podcast as well. Today, I want to mention our Junior Jet program. Our Junior Jet program is now live. It is from ages five to 10. And you can go online at elevateaviation.ca and you can go in and you can look for our Junior Jet program and you can let your kids watch them and play with them for free and have fun with them. Or if you are a teacher, probably around grade six, uh, and you want us to come and host those for you virtually or in person when we're allowed, we will absolutely do that as well. Um, but we really want to inspire kids to get into aviation and start a passion uh, with aviation at a young age. So today we have a guest that I'm really excited about. I just love this woman. I met her uh, a while ago and for the very first time I met her, I thought I wouldn't be like her. <laughs> and uh, so listen, if you're watching this on Zoom, please feel free to ask questions at any time. Just throw them out there in the chat or the Q&A and ask any kind of questions that you like. I am sure she uh, she's up for asking questions and uh, if not, she'll She'll say no. no. <laughs> okay. okay, right on. Okay, well, we are joined by Trish Gilbert. She is the executive VP of the American National Air Traffic Controllers Association, NATCA, and heavily advocates for safety in aviation. Today, we are going to explore Trish's path from air traffic controller to a leader in the aviation industry. Before Trish was elected as the NACA EVP, Trish worked as an air traffic controller for 21 years at the Houston Center and served in many activist roles within the union, including facility representative, Southwest Regional Chair of NACA's National Legislative Committee, Chair of the National Legislative Committee. She also chaired NACA's National Organizing Committee, served as NACA's Charitable Foundation Vice President, and then later as the Foundation's President. This I am telling you, it's just touching on a few things that she does. The list is very, very, very long. Um, the American Association of Airport Executives even named a scholarship after her. So I have a lot of questions for Trish myself. Again, if you have questions, please throw them out there and I'm gonna start with mine. Trish, thanks for joining. Thank you, Kendra, so glad to be on. Oh, I am, I am, I'm seriously so honored that you made time to come here with us because I know that you're a very busy woman and, uh, and you're doing a lot of wonderful work in the aviation industry. And I just see your name everywhere. everywhere every time if I go on social media, you're, you're, you're referred to by somebody uh, about the work that you're doing. So where I want to start with you is air traffic control. So you're an air, tra you're an air traffic controller. You, so 21 years, you worked at a Houston. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah, okay. At the center. Yes. So what got you, this is the question I always have to ask, like what got you into air traffic control? <laughs> you know, I'm not an aviation. Um, I'm one of those that never knew about too much about it unless I saw it on TV. Um, I didn't have any family in aviation. Um, I just happened to be going to college in Houston and working by the airport at a bar which so I'll be and controllers used to come and after their shift they'd come in and have 
a cocktail or two. And um, they convinced me as, you know, they're a very friendly group, as we all know, uh, having become one later. They uh, encouraged me to take the entrance exam into the FAA um, and go to the FAA Academy. Um, if Without their encouragement, I, I wouldn't have even considered it. Um, I didn't know a lot about the profession. And to this day, I feel so blessed that I met them, that they encouraged me, and I was able to get in and spend uh, more than two decades um, in the best profession, in my opinion, in the world. It is, there's nothing more gratifying than being an air traffic controller. And then later I got to spend the last 12 years, so 22 decades as a controller, um, and then you know the last 12 years representing the men and women of air traffic control and many other aviation safety professionals. We represent engineering, we represent aircraft certification, um, attorneys, uh, all kinds of other traffic management specialists, flight service station, um, 17 bargaining units and all. So um, being able to, to serve in this role uh, before the media, before Congress, before other industry groups, before labor, the, you know, in the house of labor, to, to get to speak about these men and women and the great job that they do every day has just been uh, the honor of my life. It is coming to a close, however. Um, this is my last term. I've served four terms and it will end on September 1st. And that's because you time out, right? Like age out. Is that correct? Right. Air traffic controllers in the United States have a mandatory retirement age of 56. Um, and uh, I come from that bargaining unit and uh, it is, important that we um, support the men and women that also have to retire at 56 by not continuing on beyond that age because it is something that we hold sacred. Um, it is a, a career that is stressful. I, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people will say that it's not, but it can be. It's a 24-7, you, you, know, you work a lot of holidays, a lot of weekends. Um, it can be stressful, not certainly not every day, but um, there's a reason we have an early retirement in the United States, which means there's also a reason we have a mandatory retirement. Um, the cognitive skills start to decline uh, when you hit your mid fifties. And so that is why the retirement age is there. Hey now. Yes, I know. 50 in two days, so. <laughs> oh, if I could only be yeah. 50 again, no, yeah. It goes quicker after 50. It just, oh. those years just click a, click away after Every that. Every year seems to be going faster and faster. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, those people at the bar, um, <laughs> when I say bar, you can hear my East Coast, I hear it. Um, mm -hmm. Those people at the bar, uh, you know, you said you're grateful for them, for getting you into it, because look what it's done. And I understand that I'm right with you. Um, do you think it's because of what they did for you that you do so much? Well, I, th you know, I see people in all uh, aspects of life, certainly more before the pandemic. Um, when you go into any kind of uh, retail store or, and you see an individual that you can just tell would be great at this job, you encourage them. And as, when we put out a bid for the FAA, I send emails all over the place to people that don't know aviation well, that I think would be wonderful at this job and, and try and push it out. But I think, yeah, I think, I think without their support and encouragement, um, I certainly wouldn't have gotten into this wonderful profession. And uh, if I can give a little bit back to you know, young adults that are trying to find their place in this world, um, I, I wouldn't like to help them um, because it is a great profession. And aviation in general is just wonderful. 
Um, it's yeah. not just air traffic control, but I'm, a, you know, I'm a little passionate about air traffic control. Yeah. I can't tell you how many wait staff at restaurants I've said, hey, do you know this would be good for you? You um, know, people joke about it, but it, some of the skills to be, and this seems maybe a little silly, but you've probably seen it, the skill set that it takes to uh, do well behind a bar as a bartender or be a wait staff a server uh, are a lot of the same type of skills that are really uh, important in air traffic control, the prioritization, uh, remaining calm, uh, all, of, all of that is is very, very important. Uh, you kind of see three-dimensionally in both of those occupations. Yeah, I think the chef as well. Like, you know, yeah. I watch those chef shows on TV and, and the amount of things that they have going on at the same time, I, I sometimes think, wow, they'd be good. What other things, like when you say you, you see someone who might make a good air traffic controller for anyone listening now or later that thinks, hmm, like, what do you think are some more qualities that that people that make you look at someone and go, you'd be a good air traffic controller? Well, you know, I, I, the way they handle whatever they're doing, if they're if they're calm and they're confident and they remain professional, because all of those are very important as well, those always catch my eye. And um, and I do have an affinity towards noticing young women and trying to encourage to encourage them to uh, to consider a, this as a profession or aviation, you know, but certainly air traffic control. Yeah. And we're going to talk more about women specifically in aviation here in a little bit. Um, Sophia made a comment here. She says transferable skills come up again. That's correct. Like we are really talking about transferable skills. So other people in other industries can, can, um, you know, think, Hey, maybe I can do that. I have these sort of skills. So, um, so we'll see, we'll see what comes up with that. Um, okay. I have another question for you here. What, so you served as the National Air Traffic Controller Association's seventh executive vice president since you were elected in September 2009. You were re-elected to a fourth three-year term in July 2018 uh, as the first time anyone's ever served in that role four times. Um, tell us about that. So what is, what is that role? What, for a lot of people have no idea. What is that, what is that role that you were doing? Can you explain it? Sure, sure. Um, so just like any role, it's what you make of it. Certainly you can uh, create um, advocacy where maybe there wasn't some and, and fill that portion or fill that in as you, um, you know, work in your, your role. But um, just on paper, it is, you know, they, the executive vice president is there to uh, support the organization but then also be there um, and act in this in, you know, if the president cannot be uh, chair meeting or, you know, if to higher level testify before Congress, the executive vice president would fill that role behind that person. Um, I also am the chief financial officer for our organization. Um, so in responsible for all, all the finances with a wonderful accounting department and a volunteer national finance committee. Um, I also serve ex officio for um, our legislative committee and on the NAC Charitable Foundation Board and our new diversity, equity and inclusion committee called Union Synergy. I sit on all those committees as well as um, you know, many, many other things. We, you know, I have testified before Congress a number of times. 
been in the media more times than I would like. Usually, you know, as we are living through a government shutdown and our workforce is working and not getting paid or furloughed at home, not knowing if they're going to get paid. But all of those roles are part of what we do in addition to supporting uh, things that we have to negotiate with our employer, um, sit on the Women's Committee at the AFL-CIO. So those issues are really important in the work that we do at the AFL-CIO. I sit on their political and legislative committee as well. Paul sits on a number of their committees as well as their executive council. I mean, I, I could go on and on, but it, it's just so many. I mean, NACA is involved in the safety aspects of aviation in, in our country, but also internationally. And we're involved in the labor relations, meaning the litigation, the negotiations um, for our workforce. Um, important that we have strong relationships with all of industry from the National Transportation Safety Board to um, the Department of Labor uh, because they uh, deal with workmen's comp for our workforce as well as our elections and our finances and unions uh, to uh, any number of other agencies really important that we work closely with them as well as industry partners. I mean, we work closely with Airlines for America um, when we need to align with, um, you know, with the carriers, we work very closely with General Aviation, with AOPA and EAA, um, when we're uh, discussing things that are important for General Aviation. And I could just go on and on. The avi aviation groups are, are very important and those relationships are very important. So that's just a little bit of, of what we do as an organization and the role I play to make sure that uh, the right people are plugged in to do a lot of this work. And we have just such a talented staff and a volunteer army in NACA. Uh, we, we represent 20,000 aviation safety professionals, 15,500 15, of them are air traffic controllers, but hundreds and hundreds of them step up and give of uh, their time to do work for this union. They, you know, they, they, they go on vacation and spend it at our fly-in on Capitol Hill where we, where we talk to members of Congress and their staff about the needs of the system, the staffing, the training, the equipment, the brick and mortar facilities that we work in. They step up and do safety work on our behalf. I mean, they just, you name it, they volunteer and they do it. So our volunteer army, um, I think makes NACA uh, so much stronger than had we, you know, we couldn't hire staff to do all the work that, that we need to get done. So, so they step up, very active membership as well. I have been to one of your conferences down in Las Vegas and it blew my mind. I'm like, this is insane. Like compared to Canadian air traffic control, you guys are just so much bigger. And it was, it was so incredible to be down there and be part of that just for that one conference that I, I had a chance to be part of. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, the difference between you guys down in the States, air traffic controllers in the States and the FAA and, and Canada here. So Canada, we work for NAV Canada. So if anyone's watching this and you don't know, if you want to know more about air traffic control in Canada, you go to navcanada.ca or let us know. Um, it's a private company. You guys are not a private company. So you're very intertwined with the government. Like, I'm curious, can you talk about that a little bit? And does it change when the presidency changes, like gone from Trump to Biden now? Like, it, does that heavily influence the work that you guys are doing or or is it just sort of, does it not really affect it? It, it does and it can, depending on, uh, and, we, and we are responsible for ensuring that what, what we called it before we, you know, made, uh, 10 years ago, Paul and I discussed it, this pendulum going back and forth with the political winds in the United States. 
and um, the a little political down there. Yeah, um, and, and so we really decided that we needed to gate that down, um, which is why we focus so um, aggressively on building strong relationships across industry, across government, with our employer, and uh, so we could protect the people that fly, certainly, and the people we represent, because neither of those entities deserve to see labor unrest or an unhappy workforce. Doesn't mean it's been perfect, it's been far from it, but not because of the relationships or because of NACA. It's really been more political that had nothing to do with aviation. And, and I'll refer to the government shutdowns here in a minute. But, but we spent a lot of time making sure that um, we could uh, deal with the shifts that occur um, when administrations change. Um, unfortunately, um, politics has gotten so aggressive here and so partisan in the United States that things that used to be nonpartisan like aviation bills, we are funded, we're supposed to be funded every year by Congress through the appropriations process. And we're supposed to be authorized uh, a multi-year bill um, three to five years, depending on, on when what they agree to, um, which dictates the priorities for the FAA, the rules, and, and, and all of the things important to the workforce, because we are government employees. So um, we, we work for the administration, Congress funds us, and they authorize us. So really important that we stay connected to all those priorities and educate them on a regular basis, which is why we have such an active part of our membership does legislative work. Um, Unfortunately, you saw it just, uh, it wasn't that long ago, uh, in 2019 was the government shutdown that lasted 35 days. Um, where essential workers, you know, the air traffic controllers are, they went to work, but they didn't get paid. So they missed a couple paychecks before they finally, the government opened back up, the funds were appropriated and they got paid. Um, unfortunately, we'd gone through a 16 day one um, under the previous administration. So the 35 day under the Trump administration, 16 day shutdown under the Obama administration, but several uh, shutdowns just short term where it didn't affect our pay, but very disruptive anyway. People um, not being able to make decisions on movement through the system, uh, where that because if you go into training, likely you wouldn't be certified, you would then be furloughed versus being able to come to work. Um, so a lot of concern around that it affected the hiring pipeline, it affected the training, because a lot of that stops or at least is curtailed, it affects the equipment we use and the deployment, um, the maintenance of our facilities. So that stop and go funding was quite concerning for us. Um, so, you know, it, it got a, a lot of attention and privatizing air traffic control of the United States has been a discussion item for many, many years. Since the day I walked in the door. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, the aviation subcommittee uh, decided they were going to write legislation to pull us out of government and uh, make it similar to a NAV Canada model, not exactly like it. Um, I, I actually spent some time up in NAV Canada with your current board and the previous board and the one that was in place when you guys transitioned uh, out of the government, out of Transport Canada into NAV Canada and kind of spent two days just listening. If you knew what you know now and you had an opportunity to help draft 
the legislation that pulled you out of government, what would you what would you do? What would you make sure was in there to secure? And certainly, um, we got all of that information from your you know that those teams up there, and we worked really hard if legislation was being drafted and it was that we protected all of those things our right to bargain our pensions our our ability to negotiate just about anything uh, because things wouldn't be covered by statute anymore they would be uh, subject to bargaining so we put uh, a lot of that in the draft legislation by chance it would would become law and we would be protected it didn't become law um, it was reintroduced a, a second time and uh, again, didn't become law. But uh, you know, you have to protect the what if. And I think it will come up again, and, you know, not here in the near future, because as we have gone through this pandemic, um, we've been in a different situation than NAF Canada has, because now that model doesn't look as uh, great as it did back in that, you know, several years ago when they were trying to be like a NAV Canada, um, they're seeing some of the problems with, with that model. Um, and I know there is an international effort to look at all the different air navigation service providers and their models and what can survive a pandemic. And the question is, can any model survive one? We are in government. And so um, it's a different situation. We have not uh, had to furlough or we call it a reduction in force in the United States um, because a lot of it is because we are funded through the government. Um, I will say that we worked really hard in our September bill, which is our funding bill to make sure that money was moved out of the treasury into the aviation trust fund, which does still go through the appropriations process, but to secure uh, funding for the FAA, because I don't know what we, it would have been a different situation where I sit right now, had that money not transferred over, we would have been in a similar situation as some of the other air navigation service providers, even being in government. Um, very complicated funding model here. Yeah. Uh, something that certainly we are always keeping an eye on to make sure that we can protect the system and the membership, you protect one, you're protecting both. Right. You know? Well, you know what? You touched on this, so I'm just gonna say this. I have great hope that the good people who are in our management and unions will come together soon and everything will be okay. I hope so too. We're thinking about um, all of you all the time. I talk to you know, Doug and Scott on a regular basis and, and they know um, we're here for whatever they need and we have helped where they've asked and um, our people want to help. Uh, they have not forgotten how kind the controllers of- Remember the pizza? Were, yes, sending all the pizza. We all gained a little weight, but it's <laughs> the, you know, the camaraderie and the thought is, was, you know, they, they'll never forget that, the, okay. the way, uh, you know, and it was controllers all around the world sent let, letters of encouragement and food, but uh, certainly our brothers and sisters from the north uh, have yeah. a special place in our heart because, you know, we're just right here. We're right across yeah. the border. And, and so we are thinking of you and I hope they do figure it out and I hope they figure it out very soon. I do too, because I do love this company and we all love the company. And so mm -hmm. seeing what, you know, seeing where it is right now, we're, we're all sad. So hopefully they figure it out pretty soon. And if you don't know, we're just talking about for a moment when the controllers in the U.S. were not getting paid, the Canadian controllers started to send pizza down there. The first one actually originated in, in the Edmonton Center in Arctic High. That was the first pizza that went in and that just went wild. So that, that just felt like, oh, just, just really connected people, our hearts. So it was really cool. 
Um, I, I'm going to go into Perry's question here. So Perry's saying, I see that in the U.S. air travel is only down 30% from pre-COVID versus something uh, versus down something like 90% in Canada and other countries. So my comment is that post-COVID air travel, I think, is going to come back. Please comment. Thank you. So the United States is, and maybe it has a lot to do with the size um, of, you know, we are pretty big where air navigation service providers are concerned. Um, we, before COVID, we were uh, 2 million passengers a day uh, traveled through the system, went through TSA, um, 70,000 operations a day. And uh, that we did see a hit just like every other country. Um, but I will tell you, general aviation is very robust in the United States. And some of our general aviation airports, many of them, in fact, stayed absolutely as busy as they were pre-COVID. Maybe just a little lull in the very beginning, but immediately bounced right back. And in some of them got have been busier um, during the pandemic because more recreational flying, general aviation uh, still wants to fly. And, and so that has occurred, but also um, the commercial side of it, uh, not every part of the country saw the, the big drop, the 60% drop. Um, and even now, while we still see about 30% down in some parts of our country, places like Atlanta and Dallas and Denver are very close to, to 80, 85% from where we were just a year ago. So we are coming back and the, the TSA numbers, the passengers flying over the last couple of weeks have already bumped back up to 1.5 million on several days. So we're starting to see a rebound, which is exciting um, mm. for, for all of us to get back to some kind of semblance of normal because we did stop training uh, in a lot of our facilities because of COVID protocols. And we really need to get our uh, pipeline started back up. Um, didn't completely cease where we could train, we did, but not everywhere. And we need to get those trainees back to, to working and get them certified so we can keep, keep that pipeline going. So, you know, a lot of the companies, and I, I can't say we're not candidates on this because I actually don't know, but I think it's around 2024, 2025 will be when the traffic's back to normal. Like, are you thinking now that? that we're wrong like that you know a lot of the airlines said that for a long time and everything but boy i know i want to travel like i hope they're wrong because you know I, you know and our numbers are up because of general aviation and domestic i mean because we do a lot of domestic air travel i think it's 75 percent of our uh, air carrier traffic normally is domestic as compared to europe where 70 percent of their air carrier traffic is international mm -hmm. So I think we'll bounce back just because we fly more domestically than a lot of countries right. do, which should be the same or similar, I would think, with Canada um, being the second largest air navigation service provider in the world. Um, so I think I think we will bounce back sooner than predicted. Um, at least I'm hoping so. I'm hoping well, yeah, hopefully when the vaccines come out, people will, right. will want to fly. And then, of course, that will depend on the government and the everything. The, the hassle it is right now to fly. But anyway, we'll move off that. Um, uh, I see there's a, another question, but I'm going to save that for a little bit later. But I want to talk about, I want to go to leadership for a minute. That's one of the real reasons I want you on here. I mean, I love talking about air traffic control and, and everything that we've been talking about, but let's talk about your leadership skills for a moment. Holy cow. <laughs> like, first of all, let's say that you are on so many boards that I'm not going to list them all. Um, but let me just list 
a couple. Um, the FAA Drone Advisory Committee, the FAA NACA Collaborative Steering Committee, the Aero Club of Washington Board of Governors, the National Aeronautical Aeronautic Association Board of Directors, Director of NACA Charitable Foundation, the Vice Chair of the International Church, and go on. This is like, I'm not kidding people. There was a, such a huge list. Tell me, for people who want to know, first of all, like, how do you get onto boards? Like, I want. Why are you on boards? The importance of it, the influence you have, and then how do people start? Because you know, so, right. Good question. Um, you know, a, a lot of them. Well, it's it's different. I, it's not the same with every board. Um, I think it does take some work, and I wish sometimes I had more time for the board work than I do on some of them. Um, Unfortunately, you have to, you know, we do have NACA has a staff and I use a lot of them to help support my activity on some of these boards, as does Paul, who's our president, um, for those that are watching. And um, because it does, it does take a lot of uh, work with not just the board work, but they typically have task groups or working groups underneath those boards that report back to the, the board themselves. Um, and they're not all the same, but um, Sometimes, you know, it's they want a subject matter expert or a spokesperson or a decision maker from the workforces that we represent. So our expertise puts us on a lot of boards. Um, in some cases, they are looking for diversity and they want uh, a woman on the board, which is a good thing because a lot of the aviation industry boards and and um, activities are still very you know, high, uh, you know, dom male dominated uh, boards. And so it, it is good to have that diverse perspective um, participating in, in these activities. And, and a lot of companies and the industry itself is really looking uh, to do more of that. So, so that has created some opportunities for me as well. Um, but again, really important, not just for the work that the board does, but for the organization itself that I represent NACA, that we have a voice and um, that we can make sure that, because um, people think they understand air traffic control and you probably run across this a hundred oh, yeah. times, yeah. they think they do. And um, and the drone advisory committee is probably a good example, is is this, these new, um, this new community uh, looking for space in a, in, a, in a system that's existed for 100 years and, and how do they fit in and how do they safely fit in. So there's a lot of collaboration that has to take place. Um, and then a lot of work through government and rulemaking, uh, the regulatory process is, is very complicated. And then the confidence that you have to instill in the traditional users of the airspace, the communities that you're gonna fly over. And then, you know, how do you welcome in this new community into a system? So a lot of work needs to be done there. But when you do that work, they it's important that they understand air traffic control, just like it's important for our, our pilot colleagues that are involved on these boards that they can explain how, you know, how it's how it's been done before and why they uh, want to ensure safety as we integrate this new community into the airspace system. So um, that voice is really important. So, you know, while it is extra work to be on different boards, it is really important to make sure that our voice is heard on those boards. So do you think that somebody who has never been on a board wants to be on a board? Um, what's advice for them? Like just apply or what, what do you think? 
Definitely, I, I, I definitely would apply. Um, let me, let's talk about the Women in Aviation Advisory Board. It was just recently uh, in the 2018 FA reauthorization bill, which is a piece of legislation that was signed into law, um, had called for a Women in, in Aviation Advisory Board to be set up um, for the FAA and DOT um, to explore um, women in aviation and how to promote uh, a more diverse workforce because of the, the numbers have been pretty stagnant for, for a couple of decades. So, you know, I think um, in, in a case like that, yeah, if somebody has a passion for, for doing the work and understands the industry, um, they should apply. Yeah. And, and, you know, they ended up making the board larger than they initially had planned for, than the legislation called for, because there were so many interested women to be a part of that advisory board. And I'm glad they did. It's a, it's a great board. They're doing a lot of work. It's a, it's a tremendous amount of work. They, and they all have their jobs that they do as well. Um, but because they're so passionate about providing recommendations to our government about the barriers that we're finding um, for women to come into aviation, um, the interventions that we recommend can be put in place to, to uh, deal with those barriers, and then uh, a whole number of other things they're gonna recommend to government. Um, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of data gathering. It takes a lot of um, experience, and it takes uh, the fact that there's so many uh, on the board with expertise, bringing, those to, bringing that to the table and making sure we're exploring every aspect of it. Because we do feel, I think, and I don't wanna speak for the board, but I think everybody has this feeling that we're gonna have this one shot to provide recommendations to our government on how to address these issues, which have been just kind of lingering there for decades. I mean, you'd think it would have improved um, because efforts are being made to include, uh, to be a more inclusive work environment, to uh, reach out and pull up uh, those that might not have had a seat at the table, but the numbers just aren't changing. So we have to look closer at why. Interesting fact is I came in, uh, which is gonna show you how long, well, you probably already know, 1989, I became an air traffic controller. Um, and I, there was 16.7% women in air traffic control in 1989. And here it is. Yeah, 16.7%. Yeah, you think that here we are today. And it's, it's like still, the best job in the world. Sorry to everyone who thinks it's not true. <laughs> so today it's still 16.5%. It has not moved. In fact, has gone down just a little bit. At one point it came up a little bit to 17 and 18%, but it's still you know, pretty low, um, being that we're women are more than 50% of the workforce in the United States that we're still... Okay. down below the 20s. Well, we will have to remember to touch base to compare data because we've done a big national project collecting data and have results from that. And it, it's, uh, we actually have an extension to continue post COVID to see what the numbers look like, how it's changed. And um, we have a good provincial one that's going on right now as well. So we'll have to touch base and uh, compare some of our research, collaborate on, on our research. Um, okay, so let's talk about Paul for a minute. Uh, okay. So you and Paul, your election, so Paul is the president, and you were the vice president, and Paul and you have been together for four terms, which is unbelievable. You work so well together, and your elections, to me, are like when we're watching, just so everyone knows, when you're watching the elections of the president, like this latest one, President Biden or Trump or whoever the president is, that's what 
these elections remind me of they're so big like there's there's posters there's like just from what i've seen on facebook it's in, it, it's actually incredible how you guys run your your um elections and it's just so huge and you have four terms so that's saying something that the amount of people who have uh, elected you four times so tell me about basically where i'm going here is i want to know the importance of having a woman in that leadership role in the union what is the importance of that? Do you think it matters at all? Has it made a difference that you're a woman in that union role? And what has Paul done in that relationship that really supports that? So let, let, let's start with um, what has Paul done? Paul, um, when you have a president-vice president, -president uh, relationship, sometimes they work as a team and sometimes they work in their own silos. And we ran together as a team and we're very clear that our um, leadership style was going to be when one of us spoke, we were speaking for the organization and we would be on, on board and, uh, and together on those issues, on, those, on whatever strategies we came up with. So I've been very much involved in every single decision, group work, you name it, we have been aligned. Um, it's not like he did his thing and I did my thing, um, which you could easily do. Um, but he, you know, he was very strong about inclusion, and I was very, as women need to be in a, in some of these male-dominated industries. But anywhere is is you have to make sure that you stand up for yourself as well. You got to make sure that you get your time, um, whether it be at the 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 board table or on stage or wherever it may be make sure your voice is heard too. So um, he's been very good and very, very supportive uh, from the very beginning. It was our philosophy. It was um, where we started. Um, so I'll start with that. Do I think it's important that women um, are serve in their unions? Absolutely. I think not just women, I think the more diversity at any, at any team level uh, where they're making decisions, but any team, uh, diversity of thought is really important. We really try and make an effort as an organization to make sure that we have uh, people from different parts of our country, different backgrounds. You know, primarily we have controllers that come out of college and or the military. So we make sure that we, you know, have diversity of that. We make sure that we have different experiences, whether they're center controller, or tower controller, or a terminal radar controller. Uh, we want to make sure that that we're diverse in our thinking when we build up teams that way as well as the other uh, professionals that we represent outside of air traffic control because with our type A personality in air traffic control, if we're not careful, we 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 will uh, walk right past them and and forget to listen to their concerns and include them. So we really intentionally try and make sure that we're reaching out to the other units that we represent to make sure we understand their priorities when we make decisions on their behalf. So I think diversity of thought, not just having a woman on the board, but having a lot of different backgrounds and perspective is, perspectives are very, very important. Is it having you on the board that really brought this whole diversity of thought to the forefront? <laughs> I don't know that I should, you know, I, I don't think I can take credit for that. I, I think everybody, um, everybody contributes and I certainly have things that I'm more passionate about than other things as does Paul and, and anybody else on the board. So I think it, it makes a very good dynamic when 
things that you're passionate about, and I happen to be very passionate about our work on Capitol Hill and the legislative activity that we do. Um, although my my first background in the union was labor relations negotiations, being a, a, a representative at Houston Center, negotiations and grievances and litigation and that stuff, I, I kind of evolved to legislation. So, uh, you know, when I bring that to the table, I think it is, you know, it, it adds to the success of the organization. Um, but I think the, I will take credit in the fact that Paul and I have decided that we were going to do a couple of things that I've been, that have been very key for, I think our successor, our longevity is we made a commitment that we wouldn't spend all our time in DC, that we would uh, make a strong effort to be in front of our membership at the facility um, or in a meeting uh, in their area where we can listen to their concerns, where we can walk through their work environment and make sure we don't forget what it's like to be an air traffic controller or whatever profession we're visiting at the time. So that I think it kind of grounds you that we would never forget that we're up here to do um, the work of the men and women that we represent and that we wouldn't make decisions based on emotion. And that's been, you know, you that's easy to say. And you go through government shutdowns or disappointments with your employer or even your own membership. And you you got to be careful to step back and say, okay, let's just not make a decision based on emotion. Let's think it through. And then we've always tried to, to make sure that we together try and figure out what else can we be doing? What else is important? What needs to be done short-term, medium-term and long-term uh, and think through that together. Um, I don't think that I could say anybody deserves credit here or there because I think as a group and as a staff, we've done a lot of incredible things. Do I bring a, a different priority to certain things? Probably, you know, I, I think it's really important. You know, I, I think our diversity, equity and inclusion committee, Union Synergy is, is one of the things I found extremely important to get set up. Um, and it didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen immediately upon me getting elected. It took, the timing was important. We needed to be ready for it, to understand it, to embrace it. We put in a code of conduct for our membership, which holds our members accountable for inappropriate or unprofessional behavior at our meetings, our training, our events. Um, that took a little bit of time to get in place, but important and embraced by our entire board. Um, so all of those things really important. I would say the paid parental leave that we just recently were able to get 12 weeks of paid parental leave for our workforce um, was something that clearly I have been passionate about since I had my child uh, a long time ago and uh, didn't get to take a, a lot of sick leave and ended up having to borrow sick leave, uh, which we're able to do and took two years to, to pay it back to the government, my, my leave I took to be home with my child when he was born. Oh my goodness. Um, all things really important to me because I lived through it. That's why, um, but really happy that we've, you know, that's finally in place. Um, and that just went into effect October 1st of this year, 12 weeks of paid parental leave. Um, I know it's foreign to you because it's, yeah. you well, know. It's, it's, I remember when we were in um, South Africa for the conference, I was talking to a lot of the US controllers there and they were telling me about that. And I was just like, oh my goodness, that's so sad. Yeah. It really is. And, you know, uh, we have it for um, the federal workforce, which we're part of, but we worked very hard uh, to get it passed into law and also get uh, agreement from our employer to, to do it before it was passed into law. Um, 
But you know, the rest of the industry then in the private sector, they still don't have, not many of them have many provisions for, for time off on the birth or adoption of a child. So we're a little behind in the United States in that area, which is unfortunate. Um, so your union synergy, I love that so much because there's no gender associated with the name. Uh, right. Congratulations to you or whoever came up with that. Um, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Like, is it, was it them? Is it, is, was it them working on the project of maternity or is it something altogether different? I was talking to someone, you know, he's the chair of the IFACA diversity. Um, uh, oh yeah. It starts with S, I'm thinking of his name right now. Um, anyway, he was saying that, you know, their union over in, uh, is it Finland where he's from? Norway, I think. Anyway, he was, um, you know, on International Women's Day, they they wore like t-shirts with things representing International Women's Day or diversity days or different things throughout the year. And their union really promotes a lot of the diversity, um, which I, I just was thrilled to see. Is that, is, that, is that, are those some of the things that your union synergy does? Yeah, you know, and they've only, we only set them up um, just probably a year before COVID hit. So um, they're a relatively new committee. Um, but they're doing amazing things and they're trying to find their place on um, what's appropriate, when it's appropriate, working closely with other committees, working closely with our board. Um, you know, the paid parental leave, certainly it's something they supported, all of our members did, but that that work was done by our, our staff and our legislative team because it did, it was tied into the law, but then also our labor relations staff and our negotiating team to get it uh, negotiated with our employer. But uh, the Union Synergy Committee, they've held a couple of town halls. The first one was about inclusion um, in the workplace and the importance and significance of it. Um, and then the second one was on being involved in your union and, and finding your place in your union to be involved. And, and key parts of that is, you know, making sure you're welcome, making sure that um, you uh, have a voice that, you know, so that they're doing all of that as well as they have their own Facebook page. They're, they're doing a lot to uh, socialize those difficult conversations that, need to happen when a workplace has, well, when our country is seeing a lot of things happen that are uncomfortable and unfortunate and have happened for quite a, quite a time. But those conversations are happening in the workplace as well. So it's important that we figure out how to, how to understand it and how to discuss it in an appropriate way. And for those that don't understand it, how they can be helpful to those that are dealing with, unfortunately, uh, discrimination or um, biases that turn negative and, and how are we dealing with that? So that's the kind of work that they do. I love that it's coming from the union because like, and I know it's a little different for you, but for us there's management union and mm -hmm. it, like privately. So coming from the union and being an air traffic controller, um, you know, will they listen more to the union than the management side and it come across a little bit differently, perhaps. Um, so I just think that that work is so important inside the union. So congratulations for starting that. Kudos to you. Um, Perry wants to make a comment here. He says, is it part of the problem with the lack of female air traffic controllers in the US that air traffic control is not a college or university degree versus the medical fields, which is all university degrees. And in Canada, doctors, nurses and pharmacists are all over 50% female now. Part of the problem is lack of awareness in the public about aviation jobs. You actually have a very unique way 
that air traffic controllers become air traffic controllers. Well, it's different from Canada. I don't know if it's unique to the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, and I don't know. I think everything's different. Yes, you can. You have to have either a, a college degree or three years of work experience or a combination of the two. Um, oh, so you can actually have work experience. Yeah, work experience does count. Technical training does count, if I said that correctly. Or you can come out of the military as a controller. Obviously, we hire controllers um, at, when they leave the military. Um, I would say the medical field, um, attorneys in the United States, I think those numbers aren't nearly as good as Canada's that he just uh, you know, quoted. So I know that there's also in the tech industry, um, which requires a, a lot of um, college education as well, um, also has a problem with the number of women in, in the tech fields. So I don't think it's associated with the fact that you know, if we had been required to have, everybody had to have a college degree um, and whether that's an associate or bachelor's, I don't know whether that would change our um, the outcome and the, and the demographics in our workforce. I don't, th I think there, there are other issues. I think knowing uh, a clear career path into this job or any other job in aviation is more uh, significant. So what does that look like? It means, you know, a lot of the work that, that you're doing and uh, it is to get to the young girls early and um, make sure that they understand uh, what aviation is, they know what jobs are, are part of aviation careers. I think there is a lack of understanding. They, they think of pilots, they might think of controllers, but do they think of all the other uh, other careers that are available, whether it's dispatch or uh, technicians or mechanics or, you know, I mean, attorneys and, and we even have, a, you know, doctors in the FAA. So there's a lot of, a lot of engineering positions. Um, so, and those are, are still very low numbers and engineering uh, roles in aviation are very low uh, for women as well. So um, I think getting to the youth in a meaningful way um, when we can, uh, we're uncovering that, you know, in schools, there's not a lot of curriculum uh, on aviation and, and maybe adjusting there. Certainly school counselors have a role to play and, and do, they, do they recommend or do they even themselves understand what the career path is into aviation careers? And a lot of times they don't. So we need to work with the, that community to make sure that they're that voice that, that connects, that builds that bridge from you know, education and, and start when they're young, really young and continue to be an influencer mentor in their uh, life at the education level from fifth grade all the way through college uh, to, to see them into these careers. I think a lot of that's going to be very important, as well as, you know, making sure that they understand what the, the financial support, it, you know, is out there. Is it a GI Bill benefit? Is it internships, apprenticeships, scholarships, what it is? Um, so they don't think it's some career that's too expensive for them to be, uh, you know, part of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I shout about this from the rooftops all the time. I wouldn't be an air traffic controller without a mentor, like so mentorship and, and even mentorship, um, not only people in aviation to each other, but to these people who wanna come in and they hear about it. Like we give them an opportunity that they can actually talk to an air traffic controller before they even decide to become an air traffic controller to see if it's right for them. And during pre-COVID, they could actually come in and visit and, and see what it was all about before they even made the decision. So I, you know, I don't know. Do you have thoughts on mentorship as well? No, that's that's very. I think that's key. Um, 
I mean, even you, you look at the, the encouragement that I had, that was, a, you know, in and of yeah. itself, a way of mentoring somebody, encouraging somebody to get into the field. But, you know, something a little bit uh, more significant than that, I think it is needs to occur. Certainly in the United States, the work that the girl, Girls in Aviation Day, Women in Aviation International has, has put on the Girls in Aviation Day in different parts of the country and, and grows every year, albeit this year had to be virtual events. Um, I think that's been extremely successful and and is starting to was starting to catch real momentum and continue and will continue um, when we can get back face to face. I imagine they were able to reach more in, in a virtual world, but that is important as well. And then you know that they stay there engaged with the people, the the young girls and young boys that they meet in these in these efforts um, and and watch them grow through their through their education into the fields that they're most interested in. But, you know, I can't compare to, to the work you guys are doing. That that really is important, that mentorship. Oh, well, it's just so nice. I, I just find that everything that we're doing at Elevate, uh, we have all these connections with other with other organizations like the Northern Nightlights, uh, women certain women aviation groups, um, and the PWC. Yeah. So you're part of the PWC. What is that? I am a, a member of the Professional Women Controllers um, group in the United States. They, uh, they do great work. Um, they're a great organization. And uh, that's where I think I first met you when I was chairing their conference. Um, I was their co one of their co-chairs when it was in Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia. And, um, you know, uh, the CATCA uh, board had mentioned the work that you were doing to me before. So as I was looking for speakers, uh, my co-chair and I discussed uh, the work that you were doing and invited you and you dropped everything and just came down and you know amazing uh, speech that you gave and you inspired so many so thank you for that but you know the work they do they reach out to young young girls and boys in all different parts of uh, the country um, and they, that's part of their goal their priority is to reach into those communities and talk about aviation and specifically air traffic control and bring them into facilities, let them see what, what happens in those facilities. Of course, that's all kind of stopped right now, but we'll get back to it um, and encourage them, uh, give them the confidence that they you know, may or may not need to, to say, yes, I can do that job. And yes, I wanna do that job instill upon them how passionate they are about air traffic control because that can be infectious and, and grab a young child and say, yeah, I wanna do that too because it's so exciting and they're so excited about doing it. Um, and I think that just, you know, that creates that momentum that we need to see for young women to, to start to come into this profession in bigger numbers. You know what? I think every woman, it should be mandatory that every young woman have to come through an air traffic control center in high school so they can all be exposed to it and see it because it's the opportunity, the economic security it gives in your life. And uh, it's just, we could go on and on, but I'm almost out of time. And I, I want to get to this question. What has been the best moment of your career? I should have gave you this in advance so you had time to think about it. <laughs> so I'm going to say two real quickly and yeah, I'll be please. short about it. Um, there was uh, what we call referred to as the lost years when we were in, um, we had our contract imposed on us as a workforce. So we saw pay cuts, pay freezes, just really draconian work rules. We were in a really bad place with our empo employer. This was um, in mid 2000s. And when um, we got another contract back in place, um, 
putting that contract out and developing, uh, along with many people, a collaborative process and training to say, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to work well together. We're going to collaborate. That was a big one. We ended up a couple of years later closing the loophole in the law, which allowed the FAA to impose that contract on our workforce. So that was a big day. And then I will tell you the most recent was getting uh, the legislation signed into law for the 12 weeks paid parental leave. That is a big one. That is a big one. I feel like I can retire and I can just go, I'm glad that got done. I'm so glad that got done. Wow. Okay, speaking of that, that's my last question. What's next for you? You know, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a new grandmother. Well, pretty new. Uh, he's home, yeah, he's two and a half years old. Oliver Sterling and uh, I, I'm lucky to live because uh, I have a house in Austin, Texas. I sold my house, my condo in Washington DC last July when the pandemic hit because uh, we're not really working from the offices right now. So I didn't really see paying a big mortgage. So I live in Austin with my husband who's a retired controller and I see my grandson every weekend. And I do love being able to spend so much time with him. However, uh, what's next for me? I, I don't know. I, I've been doing a lot more international work since the pandemic because now you don't have to fly anywhere to participate. And so there's there's so many opportunities to get involved. Uh, I'm involved at, at ICAO on the RPAS panel, which is remotely piloted aircraft systems panel for IFACA as their representative. And uh, NATCA has submitted my name uh, to uh, for election for IFACA America's region executive vice president. So we'll know the outcome of that election in May when they hold their virtual conference. So uh, we'll see, we'll see what's what's next. Wow, do I get an opportunity to vote on that as an air traffic controller somehow? I wanna vote. Um, Canada does, Canada okay. does. So. Wow, well, you know, I, I know you have Canada support because our union loves you, of course, of course, of course. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for being here. I always think the hour flies by so fast, but this one flew by. I actually still have like 20 more questions I was gonna ask you, but uh, that will be for another day. Um, I feel like we have uh, more conversations in our future, so we will have to get together again. Uh, but thank you so much for being here today and, and sharing everything that you shared. And I really appreciate it. You are someone for all women to look up to as an example of, of you know what you can do with your life. So thank you for sharing. Well, the same back at you, Kendra. You're doing amazing stuff and you know, Elevate Aviation is something incredible. And I hope we have could model that some in other parts of the world, United States as well. <laughs> so we know if you need help, I'm there. Oh, I'm gonna reach out. I'm gonna reach okay. out. So thank you for everything you do. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Sure. Okay. All right. Okay. Bye for now. Bye for watching everyone. Info at elevateaviation.ca if you want to connect with us to get your own mentor. And until next time, we'll see you later. Okay. Bye-bye.